From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While spring technically started a couple weeks ago, when it comes to Gator athletics, the arrival of April is a clearer indicator of where we are on the athletic calendar and what sports are preparing to rise to the surface. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss how recent former Gators performed for scouts on Pro Day, the latest headlines from spring practice, basketball's rapidly growing staff under Todd Golden, the start of gymnastics national title pursuit, Bobby Fink's dominant showing at the NCAA Swimming Championships, baseball's rebound against FSU, and the fallout from the slap heard around the world in the PAT. Then, we'll meet gymnast Leah Clapper and discover how her exploits in the NIL space are arguably even more impressive than her many accomplishments in competition. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Uh, Guys, let's start with some football stuff. So this week was Pro Day which is one of the many components of the months-long NFL draft process, but it's an opportunity in a you know controlled setting, a comfortable setting for guys to show scouts what they can do, and especially for, for players who didn't get invited to the Combine, it's an opportunity to, uh, to catch someone's eye. Uh, who stood out at Pro Day? Who made an impression? Who maybe didn't on this opportunity? Well, Adam, it was a little different kind of Pro Day for the Gators, uh, you know, coming off the season in which things didn't go the way they wanted, the interest there, the pro prospects might not be what we've come to expect at Florida. That's kind of the case. Although, obviously, Kyrie Elam, the uh, cornerback who decided to leave school early, I think he was the one that most people uh, wanted to really get a look at on pro day. At 28 of the uh, 32 NFL teams were in town, and uh, Kyrie. You know, he's, he's looked at as a late first-round, possible second-round pick, uh, a short shutdown corner, has all the, the skill set and, and fits the NFL profile uh, very good at his position. Uh, and I thought he performed well. He, he, was, he had a nice performance at the Combine, so uh, I think he, you know, he didn't do anything to hurt himself at Pro Day. He said mainly he wanted just to come back and support the other guys and the and participate one final time with those guys. Uh, but, you know, you to me, pro days can really help a guy like Zach Carter. You know, he's looked at as a middle-round pick. Uh, he went out and, you know, did some nice things. Again, I don't think anything that blew uh, people away but didn't hurt himself either. If there was a signature moment or performance, I think Malik Davis in the vertical jump, I mean, he – he, I think, went 39 and a half inches, which would have been the second highest of any player at the combine behind Brees Hall from Ohio State. So, I mean, and when he did it, that was probably the biggest reaction of the day. You could tell the scouts, they, there was even a couple of claps, and the, some, they started taking notes fiercely. So, you know, Malik, he, 
he went out to California in January. He's been working out in California for the last three months. And he showed up. He was in really good shape. And he's a guy that, you know, was hampered by injuries during his college career. So uh, those kind of players have a, a big opportunity to help themselves uh, to get on some teams' radars uh, with a performance like Malik had. So we'll see how, how it goes. But to be honest with you, it was kind of a low-key, under-the-radar pro day compared to past years. Uh, I remember one like this. Uh, it was in the last coaching change between Jim McElwain and, and Dan Mullen back in 2018. Very similar. Didn't have the buzz. Uh, I didn't see Bill Belichick walking around or Mike Tomlin like a lot of years. So, uh, again, it's, it, we'll see where those guys land. But I think it's pretty safe to say going into the draft in uh, late April, I think Kyrie Elums clearly will be the first skater off the board. Zach Carter probably second. And then after that, you know, you've got a lot of guys, Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, um, Jeremiah Moon, Gene DeLance, an offensive lineman who got beat up at Florida by fans a lot, but he's actually, just from reading what I've kind of doing some research on him, a lot of teams have liked him uh, during their workouts and camps. So we'll see. It's always fascinating to see, and there's always some surprises. So uh, we'll find out those answers on April 28th from Las Vegas. Three-day draft in Las Vegas. You think there'll be some money uh, lost out there during those three days? I would imagine just a little bit, just a little bit at the very least. Scott referenced the draft between McElwain and Mullen. I, I, I guess it would have been the 2018 draft and sort of similar in that situation. Taven Bryant snuck into the first round, the 29th pick to the Jaguars, and Duke Dawson was a, was a second-round pick also. And remember, like Antonio Callaway kind of showed up a little later, Johnny Townsend and Marcel Harris. But this could be the same kind of situation with uh, Kair Elam uh, late first round pick or what have you, but it's all, you know, they have these, then now they'll have the private workouts mm-hmm. and you can also make some hay with those. And obviously the interviews took place in, uh, uh, the standard interviews took place obviously at the combine. And then they have the, the breakouts or whatever in these individual kind of things. And, you know, guys can certainly help themselves there. But, uh, uh, I, I kind of think Kyer Elam is a guy, he got beat on some plays this year, right. But, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't get a lot of help up front. And I think when we talk about something that we talk about the Gators and where they need to get better, they need to get better on the defensive line. What happened with the, the, the defensive front and the secondary wasn't great last season, certainly late in the year. Kyrie Elam's probably a guy who would be a much better player with much better players uh, uh, putting pressure on the quarterback. So um, obviously the scouts will, will recognize that and, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he snuck into the first round pick. Well, it's a good segue, too, to talk about how the Gators are getting better in terms of the, the 2022 squad. Uh, Scott, we talked last week about kind of a, a crazy first week highlighted by the Emory Jones announcement, the end of that back and forth saga. Uh, and then, of course, the spring game happening on a Thursday night this year was also making waves. What's happened in the last week that has caught your attention? You know, I think the biggest development of camp really has just been, I think Anthony Richardson has, you know, put to, to rest some of whatever concerns may have been hanging over, you know, how much his knee would impact him uh, after surgery in the offseason. He looks really good out there. He actually participated in pro day as the quarterback that day, just handing off, throwing passes and drills and stuff. Uh, you know, he was just, you know, wearing shorts and a t-shirt, but Anthony looks in really good physical shape. And, of course, that's, you know, 
it's easy to do that in spring when you're not getting hit. So we'll see how it, how it goes in the fall when it when it uh, you know gets real. But I think at this point in spring camp, you know he's he's the guy there, which isn't really a big surprise, you know, with Emory's departure. But and Jack Miller is you know the the guy the transfer from Ohio State. He's he's got some nice tools that you know, are certainly different than Anthony's. Uh, but I think that position's a work in progress. I mean, Billy Napier's still, you know, trying to get the guys into his system, and, and we'll see how that looks uh, come fall. But that that's one big storyline always is during spring, the quarterback position, but a little unique for the Gators uh, this year. And I think from there, Adam, it's really just an opportunity for so many young players and unproven players to uh, to make a statement this spring. And, and that's really been Billy Napier's message uh, throughout the spring. You know, everybody's got a fresh start. That's the way it is with a new coach, a new system, a uh, new staff. You know, you, you look at the team, and I can't tell you right now, you know, you can't pencil in but a few guaranteed starters. And, you know, one of those guys would be, you know, Brenton Cox Jr., an outside linebacker. He spoke yesterday. Mike Peterson, the outside linebackers coach, talked. I mean, I was, Cox has a lot of ambition this year. He says he wants to break the Gators' uh, sack record this year. He said that's why he came back. That was his very specific goal. So, you know, if he goes out there and reaches that, well, he's going to have a really good season. Uh, so, But he's a physical guy, a, a talent. We all know that. I think his best is still ahead of him. His foot is fully healthy. Uh, he said he was never healthy last year. So I think he's one guy that's, you know, gaining some attention here uh, in the spring. And beyond that, I mean, they're just, as I said, there's a lot of unknowns. Receiver, I think, is a position that's really wide open uh, with some of the departures behind. You got Justin Shorter and Trent Whittemore, two, two guys who have proven themselves. But after them, uh, it's mostly role guys that so far in their career. So, a lot of opportunity, Adam. I think that's just the message of the spring. That's the tone around it. And it's going to be very interesting between, you know, now and when they play Utah, how the roster and the starting lineup really does uh, come to fruition because that depth chart, there's going to be a lot of guesswork from now until then. So we will continue monitoring what's happening in spring practice for the course, the Orange and Blue game coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, I want to turn our attention to basketball. Chris, when we, we spoke last week, it was obviously right after the Todd Golden press conference, his official introduction to Gator Nation. Um, the staff has come together pretty quickly. What can you tell us about some of the uh, the new assistants heading into town? Well, so far we've named uh, two assistants, uh, Adam, to the uh, new Gator coaching staff. I'm going to tr- try to pronounce uh, the first ones right. It's His name, his name is Kevin uh, Hubdy. Okay, so Kevin came by way of uh, Richmond, which uh, had a knockout punch of, uh, I believe, Iowa in the NCAA tournament this year and went to the round of 32. But uh, uh, he had previously worked with Todd Golden in San Francisco and also uh, worked with Kyle Smith, who's a protege or excuse me, a mentor of, uh, of Todd Golden's at Columbia. Um, he was the first official hire to Todd Golden's new staff. Um, Corey McRae was the second official hire to the staff. He was named on Wednesday. He's got a kind of a, a, a more of a, a lengthy, diverse kind of um, resume, having been at Florida State as a grad assistant, 
having been at Chipola uh, Junior College as assistant coach. That's so you got the panhandle kind of quartered off of contacts. Just above that, you know, he was at Mercer, where I believe he played as a player. He was also at UCLA as assistant coach with Ben Howell and then went to LSU uh, and was at Mississippi State with Ben Howell uh, since 2015 um, and recruited some pretty good players. Mississippi State has had some pretty good players there. And so he comes, he comes to Florida uh, with some knowledge of the Southeastern Conference, some good knowledge of the Southeastern Conference, basically having been in the league for the last 10 seasons. Um, and those guys didn't waste a lot of time, Adam. Uh, they got in, they were on planes, um, and they were up uh, working not just uh, recruiting-wise, but uh, transfer portal kind of things. You know, that's the way of the world in college basketball in 2022. So they, they wanted, they're out to get players. They haven't finished the coaches. Have. they got one more full-time hire to make. They're going to hire a couple support staff guys. Those will be made official, I think, uh, by the end of the week. But uh, – Busy times and you know, off season is always an exciting time. It's even more exciting, obviously, uh, with a new staff because of the unknowns. And uh, Todd Golden is out on the road now, pitching a, a, a new brand of, of Florida basketball, um, analytics driven. And from what I understand, I mean, these guys they see guys get in the portal, they have uh, uh, algorithms that they punch in their stats to m- see if they match their. Uh, how they want to do things and it gets punched out or spit out in computer like numbers. And it's just, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to getting to know a little bit more about how they do this. Uh, but right now they're, they're out trying to get guys. And, uh, uh, that's the most important thing right now is to fill out that staff and to try to find some guys on the roster. They had a zoom call earlier in the week with current members of the team. Um, There'll be some that are come back to be some that I don't think will come back that, that, that are eligible to come back. So uh, more of that will kind of play itself out as this off season kind of moves ahead. But uh, you know, that he's, I got a chance to see Todd in the basketball, in the building when he wasn't in his, uh, uh, you know, press conference kind of um, spit and polish kind of mode and got to talk to him a little bit in the, in the office, just and got to see the element of excitement the element of the unknown, like I talked about, and, and what's ahead. And he is uh, not wasting any time trying to uh, uh, rebuild this uh, this Florida program uh, under his business model. It is a very different approach. I think it's cool. And that's that's the way things are going um, across lots of different sports. Uh, and if you have to find people who are disciplined enough to, to stick to a formula, and then again, sometimes when it works, it's great, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. You never know which way it's going to go. Um, I want to turn our attention now to gymnastics, and we're actually going to be talking to Leah Clapper here in a few minutes on the show. Um, but Scott, they're they're at a, a big part of the season now. We've talked about it all year. They've been so good for they've been so consistent, and now it's time for you know. There's two more meets that determine a national champion, and that starts with the regional, which is this weekend. Yeah, going up to Auburn, uh, another program that has championship uh, hopes. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great fun regional meet, but I mean this is a Florida team that has met all expectations in 2022. You know I was looking at what they've done this season. I mean their records 20 zero and one. That's pretty good, just other than that one tie. Uh, but I mean they they're loaded and they've got a, a team. Jenny Rowland has a team that is deep, that's talented, and that they can basically fill out the scorecard on you know all four events. 
and um, they seem to, uh, you know, have just been steady all season. They really haven't had a dip, and now is the time you certainly don't want to dip. Uh, and that's been the story of this team the last couple of years. Can they rise to the occasion? You know, last year, obviously, injuries uh, played a huge role. 2020, when they looked, they were kind of in a similar place two years ago when COVID struck. And, you know, I know they were very disappointed with that. So their time is now, Adam. And, and the first step is to go up to Auburn and obviously qualify out of that regional to make the NCAA championships. And uh, that's the goal. That's the expectations. We'll see how it shakes out. Again, the way this works is you have to qualify for the national championship meet. Barring something truly crazy happening, they should absolutely do that. Uh, so we'll be watching to make sure that they, they check that box. They move on to the next stage. Um, but this, you know, we've talked about the end game for them for a while. Uh, they have now entered the end game. So we'll see how they do. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, another NCAA championship that took place this past weekend, swimming championships, and Scott, that included a, uh, a Gator who a lot of people who don't follow the Gators know about from uh, his exploits in Tokyo last summer. Yeah, Bobby Feet became a uh, international name uh, during the Olympics in Tokyo uh, with some of those uh, amazing performances over there. And, uh, you know, his, his final season at, with the Gators, uh, he missed the SEC championship meet. Uh, after testing positive for COVID. So he was gonna, curious to see how he would come back at the NCAA championships. And he came back just fine, Adam. The Gators finished third in the country, a really good team performance. And Bobby Fink uh, won the national title in the 1,650 free. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that we're going to be talking about after Florida. I think he'll, he'll hang around and train with the great group they have here in Gainesville. And certainly he'll be shooting for the uh, – what is it? 2024 Olympics in Paris. Yep, uh, I think so. So we're gonna we're gonna hear from him more. And uh, one of his buddies, Kieran Smith, who also uh, made a name for himself at the Olympics last year, didn't win a, in his individual event in the NCAA's, but he scored and helped the Gators get that third place finish. And uh, the swimming program's in a good place right now with Anthony Nesty. Uh, you know he's. He's going to be at the Olympics as a coach in, uh, what, two years. And you have all these big names still training. But they got they finished up this season, and uh, they did it with the third-place finish. So uh, pretty good performance by the Gators. We're going to be talking a lot more about uh, baseball and softball as we move into the, the heart of the spring season. Uh, but did want to note they had a, an important win in the midweek against Florida State, Scott. I mean, they were coming off of a pretty disappointing performance at home against LSU. So certainly it was good to see them get a big win over FSU, which, again, they've, they've dominated Florida State over the last, I don't know, I mean, seven, eight years. And, and that continued the other night in Jacksonville. Yeah, one for the 18th time in 21 games against FSU. And you're right, they needed that win, Adam. Uh, they had a great performance against uh, LSU on Friday night from Hunter Barco. But then uh, on Saturday, they lost 16-4 to in front of uh, more than 8,000 people at Florida Ballpark. That's the shattered the biggest record in program history by more than, I think, 1,400. So wow. it, it was a great atmosphere. On Sunday, they lost again 11-2. to one of those uh, baseball stats that fascinate baseball fans. They, they don't walk anybody, but they hit eight batters. <laughs> it was just one of those games. Wow. So they really wanted to see 
they really Kevin Sullivan was not happy after the weekend, and uh, he really wanted to see how they responded against Florida State over Jacksonville, and they responded well, getting a win six to three. Uh, the bullpen that was so shaky against the LSU, uh, they did a, a nice turnaround against Florida State, and anytime you beat the Knowles, I mean it's a good win for the Gators, and of course they carried that up to up to Athens, uh, up in Georgia. For a three-game series this weekend, they entered that that series. I think about eighteen and seven, three and three in the league. So still a lot of uh, a lot of SEC to to play, but um, a good bounce back win uh, for the Gators uh, against FSU. And again, we'll continue charting the progress for baseball and softball as they become the the primary focus here very very soon. Uh, I want to turn our attention to the PAT before we call it a day. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about this, um, but the other night at the Oscars, uh, something happened that was noteworthy. Um, obviously, everyone is talking about the Will Smith-Chris Rock incident. So why why can't we get in on the fun too, right? We should be able to. But I, I, I'm really, I'm so fascinated by this story for a lot of reasons. But the main one I've been trying to figure out is, what happens from here, right? It happened. You could argue that they shouldn't have let him get up there and they should have kicked him out of the show, in all honesty. They didn't. He gave a speech. Even the speech was kind of weird and was still trying to almost take what he did and and use that as justification because it was like his character. It was very strange. Um, But quite simply, what do you think should happen now? What What discipline should there be against Will Smith? Should he lose his Oscar? Should they bar him from the show? What do you think is the appropriate way for this to be handled moving forward? This sounds like something to me, like it would be like, if like the UN would sanction Putin or something like that, <laughs> something that's yeah not that effective. Yeah, yeah. You want to sanction Will Smith? I mean, the the damage is already done. I mean, I, I'm just struck at the irony of it all. These people out there uh, that are in a let's just say it call it like it is, they're in a little bit of a bubble out there. Would you agree, Adam? Yes. Yes. And they talk about whatever they want to talk about. All the um, talk about tolerance and love and all this stuff. And then, you know, one guy just goes up and, and smacks a guy in the middle of a, basically a, a, it smacks a stand-up comedian for making a joke. Was it a, was it an off color joke? Probably so. Um, do we know that Chris Rock knew about, uh, uh, uh Jada Pinkett Smith situation with alopecia? I, you know, I don't, I don't know that. It's been reported that he did not know about it, that, that he did not know. Okay. So, uh, I mean, whatever. I mean, if if Chris Rock can be slapped for saying that about Jada Pinkett Smith, what what could a room full of people done to Ricky Gervais a couple years ago? <laughs> yeah. which, which may have been the most epic scorched earth takedown of the Hollywood uh, elites uh, that that has ever occurred in the in the history of mankind. So, um, I you know, it was it was it was unacceptable. Uh, you know, uh, he's out dancing in the middle of the night with, you know, later on, like, you know, everyone's congratulating. So it's weird. Big love. It's, it, it is totally weird. It's this big love fest. And I didn't, you talked about his acceptance. I didn't understand what he was trying to say during his acceptance speech. A couple of points that he made about you do this, you know, love makes you act strange or whatever like that. Uh, you know, you got, you got Denzel talking him off the ledge and Bradley Cooper and during the break or whatever. It's just, that was weird, and I think it speaks to the weirdness of of, of that element of society. I, I and at the same time, uh, by by next week, 
They're going to announce probably that Will Smith and Chris Rock are making a buddy cop film, probably. Very and, possible. And, Very well, possible. One hundred percent. I mean, one hundred percent. So, you know, I've always liked Will Smith. Loved, you know, liked his movies. Uh, liked him. You know, I didn't know anything really negative about the guy, but I didn't. I didn't like that at all. And uh, the 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 reaction to it. You know, you see some people that the comedians have kind of bound together. Yeah. Kind of said, you know, can't do that. What are they supposed to start fearing for their fearing for their well being now when they're up there? Uh, uh, you know, dealing with with you know saying what they want to say or dealing with hecklers or whatever. But uh, uh, you know, no no excuse for that. I you know, could he have yelled something from the audience? Could he have done you know his same reaction? Ver- ver- I mean, maybe that would have been different. That would have seemed a little unseemly, also. But uh, this was taken to another level. I don't know what they can do about it. I don't know what they should do about it. Uh, I just know, you know, he was he was way, way out of line. Well, I mean, obviously, you guys are, as we mentioned on this show before, you guys are more plugged in to the pop culture than I am. I tend to I, I kind of seek more highbrow kind of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, most most people are more into more invested in, in pop culture than you are, Scott, not just us. I was not I was not watching that live. And but I, I obviously saw the replay. I saw the unedited replay. I, of course, I thought it was it was inappropriate. I'm like Chris on a lot of this. I've always been a Will Smith fan. I like a lot of his movies. And again, you guys watched his speech and saw him dancing afterward. I haven't seen any of that. I've read a couple stories. And while we're talking about this in a serious way, I thought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a great column about it. I thought it hit all the points in a very smart, intelligent way. So if if you don't follow Kareem on Twitter, follow him on Twitter and read that uh, column. Really, I thought it was really well done. Bottom line is, who knows what's going on? All I know is Will Smith will never be looked at in the same way by most of his fans. Uh, that's just reality he's going to have to live with. Mm-hmm. I hope that there are some kind of pushback from this because, you know, there's been a lot of pushback and blacklist to people in Hollywood for what I think probably less offense than this. So, but he's one of their most bankable stars. So like Chris and you guys said, if he pops up with Chris rock in a cop movie in a a month, will I be surprised? No, but I'll, I'll I'll about to be honest. I'm going to be very lukewarm in anything. Will Smith in the future, just from me personally, thought it was a pretty low moment for him and pretty low moment for Hollywood. Yeah. How about maybe a, maybe another, you know what we need is another Batman uh, 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 <laughs> reboot, and then we have Will Smith as Batman and and Chris Rock as the Joker. How's there that? you go. There you there go. We go. Yeah. A little worth, different. Um, a little different. Then then they think then they slap the hell out of each other and and uh, for real. The whole incident was an incredible reminder of how quickly your fortunes can change and how easy it is to undo goodwill. He has spent. Pardon the pun. Uh, Will Smith has spent 30 years creating the public persona of Will Smith, you know, the nice guy, the fun guy, the guy that's always laughing, having a good time. And in 30 seconds, he just torpedoed 30 years worth of cultivating this public image, which I think is fascinating from a yeah, someone who works in PR. I think it's very, very interesting from that standpoint. Um, but what will actually happen to him, we will see. I'm sure some kind of reprimand. They'll probably not allow him to come to next year's ceremony. Uh, but beyond that, 
Um, I don't, I don't know what else is going to happen, but you know what they should do. He could hire Jason Bateman, like in Hancock, to China, yeah, kind of redo, redo <laughs> his, uh, redo his reputation or whatever. Hancock itself was a low moment for Will Smith, even, even from his his own filmography. Um, but uh, listen, the point is, it's never okay to hit people if you don't like what they have to say. Um, if you guys don't like what what Chris and Scott have to say, uh, don't hit them. Just uh, maybe, maybe tweet them. Maybe tweet them. Chris gets a lot they, of those. They, they do. They do that. Yeah, they yeah, already do great. that. They already do that. Yeah, yes, um, yes. But yeah, check out everything these guys have going on on FloridaGators.com. Uh, and of course, next week we'll be able to recap what goes on with gymnastics. Hopefully, we'll be talking about them making another appearance at the NCAA championship meet and latest on football and basketball as the staff continues to get rounded out. So, lots of things happening in Gator Nation. Stay locked into these guys to find out about it. Uh, and gentlemen, we will talk to you next week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Gymnasts often have bubbly personalities, but even by that standard, Leah Clapper overflows with energy and enthusiasm in everything that she does. And as we learned from our conversation with the junior, that extends far beyond the floor and beam and into the world of business. I'm originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan. My parents are wonderful. My dad's an engineer. My mom is a stay-at-home or she has been a stay-at-home mom since I was born. So it was so wonderful having her around throughout my time growing up and starting gymnastics. And I have one sister who is three and a half years younger than me, who is also a gymnast. She's incredible. And she's committed to do college gymnastics starting next year. So that's really exciting. We are super close. Me and my sister, we've been best friends for my whole life. She's always been a little bit mature for her age. And I've always been a little bit young for my age. And (laughs) people always think that we're twins. So it's super fun. And we're just a really close-knit family. And I'm really grateful for for my family. Hmm. So I imagine as close as you and your sister are and she's doing gymnastics, um, that's probably because you started doing gymnastics or is it not? How did, she, how did you get started and then did she just follow in your footsteps? I got started when I was super young. So my parents took me to a parenting talk class when I was one and a half years old. I wow. was a super energetic toddler. I would be doing backward rolls off the couch and walking on all sorts of tiny surfaces. And I had so much energy. So I think they thought to take me to a gymnastics class and I just fell in love and never looked back. I really can't remember my first day in the gym or anything like that, but I just always remember loving the feeling of flipping. And I still do. I would be eating dinner at the table, but I would have to stand up. And then between bites, I would run over to our living room and do like four or five cartwheels. (laughs) And then I run back and I'd finish eating. Um, and then I do it again up until I was probably like nine or 10 years old. I was just a super hyper kid and loved being in the gym. Hmm. So you mentioned just the, the idea of flipping being your, your entry point, which events did you take to first? What apparatus was most appealing to you that served as your your entry point? That's a really interesting question and a really good one because I've never been asked it before. Hmm. I think 
just growing up in classes at the gym and then moving on to the competitive team, everybody learns all four events. And you're taught from a very young age to be an all around gymnast. And I just was happy to be in the gym doing all these cool flips. I would say I had a knack for beam and floor from the time I was really little. Vault has always been my struggle event. I think when I was really young, it was because I was so small and I could barely get myself to go over the vault table. But the other three events definitely appealed to me. And I just really was <laughs> when I was training in the gym, my favorite event was trampoline. Sometimes we would have a trampoline rotation and that just, it makes me happy to this day. I can't not smile when I'm jumping on the trampoline. When you were getting started, I know you said you can't remember exactly when you got in the gym first, but I wonder if you recall any embarrassing moments that you had uh, as you were trying to kind of learn the ropes and maybe things didn't go exactly as planned. I don't think I was embarrassed by anything when I was younger. <laughs> I was just wacko. But I will say a embarrassing adjacent feeling of being very ashamed of myself. When I was in level four and five, I was seven, eight years old. And I would cut in front of people in line to do a turn on whatever event we were on. And it would make my teammates mad because I would take all their turns. But if they weren't <laughs> going right away, I was going because right. I just was moving all the time throughout the whole four hour practice. And I would do it too much and I would be doing too many extra things and flipping around and getting in people's ways and just being myself and being super hyper. But sometimes it was too much. And my coach would send me over to sit down for 10 minutes with the gym owner, who was also the coach of the older girls. And they were the best in the gym. And I would be sent over to sit by <laughs> the coach because everybody who was young thought she was scary. I didn't think she was scary. I was more interested in watching the older girls do their gymnastics. And I thought it was cool to get to go over there and watch them doing all of these flips that I dreamed of doing someday, um, like in years beyond. But it was also horrible because I didn't want to sit down for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I would get so antsy during that time. And sometimes I think, that would be frustrating. But yes, I got sent away to sit down with the um, big and scary coach uh, when I was younger. <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world. You're just very enthusiastic, right? You're just, you're excited to compete. Can't fault you for sure. that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I know that you mentioned growing up in Ann Arbor, but I read that you always had Florida as your dream school. So I'm, I'm curious, what was it that made Florida the dream school when you were so far away? What was it about the Gators that always caught your interest? I think a big part of it was the fact that they had just won three in a row national championships. That right does help. Yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah, right when I was starting my recruiting journey. So I saw Florida as top notch gymnastics program, and I wanted to be the part of the be a part of the best program in the country if I could. So that definitely stuck Florida on my radar. There was some just amazing athletes that I looked up to at Florida. And also 
it's a sunshine state. I thought it'd be cool to go down to Florida. There's something about the humidity. I know it sounds weird, but I just love like stepping off a plane from Michigan or wherever else colder, Mm. drier that I am and just feeling the Florida air. There's something about it that has just always spoken to me. I'd been on many vacations to Florida growing up. Um, My grandparents lived here, so it sounded appealing and it certainly made the top of my dream schools list. You might be the first person I've ever heard of that likes the Florida humidity or enjoys that feeling when you get off of the plane and it hits you like a wall. I didn't know there were any people that enjoyed that. Oh, I love it. I'm not sure why. It's like a certain scent and certain feeling. It just is instantly calming to me. (laughs) They need to get you in the the Visit Florida ads with the the Chamber of Commerce saying, no, the the humidity is great. Come enjoy the humidity. Um, So, okay. So obviously you did end up at Florida. That was the dream school. But I know that the route there wasn't direct. And at one point you actually committed to, to Penn State. So how did you end up at Florida uh, despite some of the, the deviations in your path? So I originally started sending out introductions to schools right after I finished eighth grade and beginning the recruiting process. It was it was different rules back then. And I remember sending out an email to 40 different schools with Florida being one of the top ones that I was interested in. And Florida was the first one I heard back. Sorry, we don't have any scholarship spots available anymore. Mm. Come back your senior year if you're interested in a walk-on. And I was like, oh my goodness. Wow, they're already gone. Okay, (laughs) bummer. But I have 39 other schools that I'm looking at here. So let's just move on. And I worked really hard in the gym. I improved a lot during my freshman year of high school. I went on about 10 college visits. Penn State was certainly one of my favorites. And when they offered me a scholarship, it felt so amazing. And I, was, I really loved the school and completely intended on going there. So I committed after my freshman year and went on a few more visits. Thought it was sweet. I was excited to be a Nittany Lion. And then just things change and coaching shifts happened and the coaches at Penn State, they resigned. And I think other schools around the nation were kind of looking like, oh, what's happening with Penn State? And during that same time, I was working towards one of my biggest goals of my club gymnastics career, which was becoming an elite gymnast. And I was training super hard. Um towards that goal and improved a ton during my sophomore year as well. And I made it to the elite qualification and I was so proud of myself and got to compete as an elite in the summer of 2016 for the first time, which was an Olympic year, which was just mind blowing and amazing experience. (laughs) And I think that's probably what caught the Florida coach's eyes that there was this newcomer on the elite scene and she was committed to Penn state, but um, who knows what was going to happen with that. And I think things changed at Florida. There was coaching shifts and commitment shifts as well. So I remember just being completely surprised out of the blue. There was a day I was driving to painting with a twist with my mom during spring break of my junior year And I get a call from my club gymnastics coach and she said, are you sitting down? I have crazy news. 
And I was like, I'm driving. She's like, pull over, so I pulled <laughs> over into the parking lot. And she told me that the assistant coach at University of Florida just called and they're interested in offering you a scholarship. And I was just flabbergasted. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. Um, me and my mom were sitting there speechless and it was like, oh, my goodness, this changes everything. And right. we walked into the um, painting class and my mom's like announcing this to the whole room. And it was it was embarrassing, but it was just so exciting. And it was a surreal moment. So mm-hmm. I knew I had to go and see the campus. It was certainly an option that if it was an option, I wanted to consider it was my dream school all along. So I came down to campus and just fell in love with the campus. And the coaches seemed amazing. The athletics are incredible here. The academics are top notch. It just really felt like a wonderful fit. And after I got home from my first visit, I committed that day. So it's just been an incredible ride. I couldn't be more thankful um, to be a Gator. Hmm. And like everybody else's ride in 2020, uh, it, it took a bit of a turn, right? The pandemic hits and you no longer have that outlet to compete. I mean, you guys were on the verge of of going to and possibly winning national championships. Um, but while a lot of people, I feel like, didn't know what to do in that moment and maybe they, they were sulking, um, you took it as an opportunity to... I guess, become somewhat of an entrepreneur. You started a food blog. You started a podcast. I'm sure somewhat similar to to this one here. Um, Can you talk about that pivot you took in 2020 and and what drove you to start exploring all of these other avenues? For sure. So I will say that my food blog, I actually started in 2018. Oh, so so proceeded. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right after I finished high school and was looking for a project to do, cooking and baking has always been something that I really enjoy. And I wanted to share the things I was experimenting with in the kitchen with my sister um, with the world. And 2020 being the pandemic, that certainly gave me a little bit more time to work on my food blog. And it was really fun to have something where I could experiment, try new things and just enjoy myself without thinking of the stressors of COVID and everything that was going on in the world in 2020. So it was a really fun outlet to spend some time with my family and get to work on and have the opportunity to work on exciting projects like my food blog. And then um, several months later, my podcast. So I really think that COVID just forced everyone to get creative mm-hmm. in how they spend their time and really take a look at, I don't know, what they spend their time doing. At least that's what happened for me. Um, it was really interesting because I was so heartbroken that our season got cut short. We were on a winning streak, we were doing absolutely incredible. I can't even imagine what the seniors were feeling like. And I kind of let myself be heartbroken and emotional for 24 hours. And then after that, I just let it all out. And I was like, okay, well, this is the way that life is for the time being. And like, let's look at the bright side. I'm very thankful that I think I must have an optimism gene or something (laughs) like that. But I really took the time during COVID to control the things that I could and figure out like, oh, I get to design my day exactly how I want it to be because 
I can't go anywhere. So as long as I'm staying here, I can do whatever I want, um, which was a really fun blessing. And also just being able to spend uh, more months with my family. I don't think I'm ever going to spend that much time with them um, in a row again. So I tried to enjoy it as much as I could while also um, just, I was getting so antsy and itching to get back in the gym. I wanted to be flipping. I couldn't go to the gym. It was locked down. And I think all of that really just lit a fire in me and drove me to be even more motivated to be the best student athlete that I could be for the following year and just take every day as it comes and make the most of it because you never know when, I don't know, another pandemic could come or something else crazy could happen. So being able to just work like within constraints, but work towards my goals and have that sole focus was really cool. Well, then I think that the next thing that affected that was a year ago, roughly, when the NIL laws came into effect. And I think a lot of people just think about it, oh, like, it's just for football players to do local car commercials or things like that. Um, but you've, you've really taken full advantage of that in, in ways that other people might not have thought of. So can you tell us a little bit about your NIL journey and how you've used it to, to make the most of your opportunities while you are in the gym? Well, I will rewind back to 2018 when I was starting my food blog. One of the reasons why I started it was because I kept seeing things online that like, oh, you can make money through blogging and make money through social media and side hustles. And that just piqued my interest. I thought it was really cool. And I was like, oh, I'm going to start a blog and about something I love doing cooking. But I soon found out that, oh, you couldn't actually make money because of (laughs) CAA rules. And if I did have a brand deal or an advertiser, then I would jeopardize my NCAA eligibility. So that was quite disappointing because I was like, okay, I'm feeling constrained here. Everybody else in the world can make money off of doing this, but student athletes aren't allowed to. And I didn't know if that was going to change or not. Luckily, I still was interested in doing my food blog anyway. It was something that I really enjoyed and a great creative outlet. Um, But I kept learning about being an influencer, uh, making money online, that kind of thing all throughout my first couple of years of college because it just seemed like a really cool path for me. I love coming up with my own ideas and implementing them and being my own boss. And I'm an entrepreneur. I think I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I like to work on um, my own ideas as opposed to working for someone else. And I really think I have that drive and that self-motivation to build something. So I was learning about that and when I heard that NIL was a possibility, I was just so excited because it was potentially going to happen before I graduated. And I knew that I wanted to keep learning about those kinds of things and make the most out of it. So it's been an amazing ride. I've been able to do some really incredible things this past year because of NIL. My favorite being the gymnastics board game that I created and launched in the fall with my former club gymnastics coach. It was just really rewarding to be able to share a message of playfulness in sport, which is really meaningful to me. And also use my status as a student athlete at University of Florida to market it. And 
take advantage of NIL while also building this really cool thing and just learning more. I learned so much through that process um, and had a lot of fun along the way. So that was my favorite NIL venture that I have done so far. And we're continuing that company. There'll there'll be some exciting uh, launches coming up in the future. But the main thing that everybody thinks about when they think about NIL is brand sponsorships. And I've been lucky enough to work with some really cool brands and create content um, for social media that for sponsored posts and have a lot of fun doing that. It's been an incredible learning experience, just learning the process of how to land brand deals, how to create quality content and uh, long-term uh, good relationships with brands and figuring out this whole NIL space has been really cool. So I'm so thankful to have experienced the shift from no NIL to NIL and also be able to moving forward, help other athletes figure it out as well, because DIY NIL is a really interesting, um, interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I did read that you created a gymnastics board game, and I was thinking, what does that even mean? It seems those do not seem like two things that go together. Uh, Can you explain what your gymnastics board game is? Yes. So this was actually a quarantine idea. (laughs) Like all great ideas, right? Yeah. (laughs) One thing that did come out of quarantine, I always loved playing games on beam growing up in the gym my favorite workouts were when we would have like some sort of random printed out game where we collect points and compete with each other. And during quarantine, my coach and I came up with the, my club coach came up with the idea to create like a real board game. That's like a legit thing and be able to share that with other gyms around the country because it can be hard for coaches to come up with creative workouts and we like came up with a really cool idea. So it was super fun to design it. It's called Balance Palace and the original version is Balance Palace in gym where you play on balance beam and you roll the dice and you move to the spot that you land on and it gives you an assignment um, to do on the beam. So it prompts gymnasts to like do certain skills um, and then they get points when they finish the challenge and their jewels and it's a whole theme to the game and it's lots of fun and it's a great beam workout but also very unique and sparkly and different than a typical like do three routines and then you're done right all of that said i had the idea in the fall to adapt balance palace to a at home game where families and young gymnasts can play it just sitting at a table. You don't have to do flips, but it's a gymnastics themed board game. So that is the second version of the game, Balance Palace at home. And then it was a rush that this could be a really fun holiday present. So we had two months to actually figure out a producer, figure out the logistics of how we're going to put this game together, get all of the parts, um, create a whole marketing plan, promote it on social media and through an email marketing campaign and launch it to the world and then order all the inventory, put together all the games and send them out all in time for the holidays. It was a huge rush, but 
so much fun and I can't believe it, but we came out ahead of schedule and under budget and we sold way more games than I had ever imagined. So it was overall a huge success and just a really fun process. I want to get back to the the, the in the gym part, right? This has obviously been a, a really special season at this point. Why do you think this particular team has been so dominant for such a long stretch throughout this year? I think that team success, it's built upon the individual success of each gymnast plus the team chemistry as a whole. And I honestly feel that every person on our team is all in this year and we're all committed and working towards being the best student athletes that we can be. And then together as a whole, when you put the team culture on top of that and the dynamics of our team and how close we are and how much we uplift each other and motivate each other. It just really (laughs) creates a winning combination. And I'm so proud of how far we've come this year and really excited to see where we go next. Like anything in sports, especially when you get when you talk about postseason, a lot of it is about are you peaking at the right time, right? And last year, you guys had such a great regular season and then weren't quite at your best at the end of the year when it mattered the most. So if if sports are a continual learning process, what do you think the team learned from the way that last year ended that you can use to make sure that this postseason run is different? Definitely. Great question. I think one of the things that we struggled with as a team last year was staying healthy throughout the whole season. We only had 14 people on our team. And while we had a lot of depth on each event, we didn't have that many people total. So we weren't able to rotate lineups as much and rest people and maybe the conditioning or the training that we did leaning up to the start of season wasn't like we were of course doing our best, but maybe it wasn't exactly what we needed. And we just had some struggles with injuries and people feeling broken down towards the end of last season. And when you don't feel like good in your body, it's really hard to do good gymnastics. And of course, like any injuries, um, like take people out and things like that. So keeping the whole team healthy is a huge challenge for college gymnastics and something that I think we were really focused on as an entire team um, and the coaches and the staff as well. And so we changed a little bit of our conditioning and workout regimen this year to be stronger and healthier throughout the whole season. And All you can do is your best, but it's also been really helpful having some extra people on the team. Like we just have a larger team this year and this year, more than any other year that I've been a Gator, the lineups have been shifting around. It's not the same people each Friday night on the floor. So being able to have that shift and more people getting experience competing and also being able to take a breath some weeks for certain members of the team and everybody has their own experience but I really think that's helped with our momentum and all throughout um, even if somebody like wasn't competing in an event I think we kept up the team energy and the team motivation in the past there's been possibly a dip in 
like that fire after such a successful regular season. And this year, I haven't seen that I've seen like, we're just more motivated than ever to make this postseason the best that we possibly can. Of course, nobody knows what's gonna happen. Right. But the challenge is fighting complacency. And we talk about that a lot at team meetings. And just staying the course and staying all in, we're almost there. There's only three weeks left of season. So we would be totally dumb not to give it our all for these past couple of weeks. So, or the last couple of weeks, I'm really excited for this weekend and hopefully nationals in a couple of weeks. Before we let you go, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't give you a chance to to drop some plugs here. So to, we've talked about a lot of these things. Tell us about uh, the food blog, the podcast, where, where the board game, where can people find all of your, your various ventures? Yeah, so I would say the best place to find me is at Leah Clapper 5 on Instagram. And you can find everything else from there. I'm also about to launch a really exciting NIL project for building a community of student athletes that helps each other uh, make the most out of name, image, and likeness. So that is called NIL Island. You've heard it here first, I guess. Um, <laughs> exclusive, but, <laughs> exclusive. Yeah, it's not totally out yet, but it will be at NIL Island on Instagram and at NIL Island on TikTok. You can follow the accounts now. There's nothing there yet. And then also the gymnastics board game, you can find shopshinecreative.com. And it's also linked on my Instagram, so it should be pretty easy to find. Yeah, lots of lots of revenue streams here. Uh, <laughs> well, Leah, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story, and good luck on finishing this season strong. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.